You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 144. This is 12 squared, isn't it? A oh, gross. Man. We have a gross <laughs> have a of gross. episodes. I like that one a lot better. We have a gross <laughs> of flipping tables. Uh, do you buy any products in grosses? I know guitar picks come in a gross if you want them to. Really? Who, yeah, I think you who can plays? buy a gross of picks. <laughs> who snaps their picks or loses them that much? Uh, people under 20. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That checks out. <laughs> uh some follow-up. So I, I listened to last week's episode, which Matt graciously stepped in while I was taking some time off. And uh, I had like a huge list of like, <laughs> like <laughs> things, and I've, I've let go of almost all that. We'll get to some of it because we're going to talk about the MacBook and the Surface again. But I feel like when you, you have a guest host, the goal is to make the normal host come back with as much, well, actually, <laughs> as possible. <laughs> so much mic-splaining. <laughs> One of the things you guys talked about last week, and it wasn't like a central topic or one of the headlines, but it just sort of came in passing about how uh, Vim and lots of other developer tools, um, but Vim especially, has, is very driven. It's a uh, it's a an app that you you really need to dig your heels in and learn deeply to be useful at, and that. The touch bar and some of these other things Apple's doing kind of spits in the face of professionals <laughs> that use the function row, use the escape key, very commonly used keys. And um, software buttons are not going to be things you can use without looking at them the way you can with tactile. All that stuff that I agree with totally, they're valid complaints. Um, but the little side story that just got my gears grinding was this general <laughs> professional mood of... Um, well, in that case, yeah, your, your tactile feedback got harder, so you made something worse for me. But there's other ways that professionals really often go, don't make that easier. That's supposed to be hard. <laughs> and I hate that mindset. Um, yeah. And I, I do catch myself slipping into that every once in a while where I'm like, well, of course it's hard. Wait, does it have to be hard? <laughs> Yeah, and so like you know, I'm not a developer, so I can't speak to Emacs and Vim and have any sort of informed opinion about that. I leave that to the people that know what they're doing, <laughs> to the but, philosophers, <laughs> <laughs> to the philosophers. But I, I see it in audio. I see it in everything I do with media. Whether it's you know, Logic is a complicated app. There's so many panels. There's so many different aspects to it. Um, Adobe apps are they're famous for how many different <laughs> panels there are and you almost need a 30 inch screen not because of media but because of the number of goddamn panels <laughs> you need to you know I need to be able to align things I need to be able to slice things I need to be able to whatever stroke and fill and, and all that and this is getting vulgar <laughs> and I, I never want to be that professional that's like I spent years learning this and got really good at it Therefore, this is the way everyone should, this is the gauntlet everyone must run to do what I do, um, just blindly. I, I think that's the wrong way to view these things. No, that, that's fair. And I, I think hearing you explain it this way, uh, I mean, first off, I agree with you, but I think that there's a human, a very human thing happening here, which is if someone comes, you know, you've been digging a hole with a spoon for 20 years and then someone comes along and shows you like a proper shovel or worse, like a backhoe where they can do what you did in 20 seconds 
And you're like, well, but digging holes is supposed to be hard. And it's not because digging holes is supposed to be hard. It's because your universe has just been completely (laughs) collapsed and you don't want to reconcile with what may amount to years of wasted time. And I'm not saying that, you know, Vim users or Emacs users have invested years of wasted time, but like when Adam came out, uh, when which is another text editor, when Sublime was first like becoming really popular, people were like, "Oh, well, there's just a bunch of Vim plugins that do that." And and the answer from like new, typically younger developers were like, "But but this one just already does it. Like, wh- <laughs> wh- why buy that thing and then bolt the thing I need onto it when I could just buy this thing and it already does the thing? <laughs> the end result is the same." So I, I, well, I feel and like everyone, there's a everyone biases what they've already done versus the cost of moving to what they haven't done. But I think it's more than that. I think it's not just like, oh, well, this is the way we've always done it, therefore it's the right way. I think it's, please do not allow me to have to consider how much of my time I might have wasted. Like, don't, (laughs) I'm not even willing to have this discussion. Like, people just shut down and they're like, no, well, obviously. And and I do think, another thing about the touch bar, and I I said this this much to Matt, and I kind of want to get your opinion on this specifically, is, don't you feel like this incentivizes becoming prosumer? Like it will expose things to to non-pros that they otherwise might have found opaque, but it doesn't really give an equal advantage on the the pro side. Like Yeah, I was yeah, we'll get into the deep, the weeds. <laughs> um I think the touch bar is a consumer innovation. It I don't see much benefit for pros. Yeah. And the other thing I will just before we we jump on to this this other lead in thing here is uh a lot of uh, pro applications probably don't really utilize the function row that much specifically those buttons. <laughs> I'm not saying none, but I'm saying I bet if you know a, a developer or a writer or a an Adobe effects you know person or musician if they key logged every single keystroke, I bet they hit the function keys less than they imagine. Like this is a pretty safe row of keys, relatively speaking to replace. Also famous, at least I can speak for Adobe and other media apps, uh, famously remappable. Um, yeah. Also that, I mean, and, those, and, and Vim and Emacs, that's like a huge thing. Yeah, is, anything is developer is going to be remappable, but, yeah. um, even the, us non-programming media folks, um, <laughs> are used to extensive, you know, preferences for key commands. Um, and I can think of an After Effects F9 is the turn this into Bezier curve keyframes mm. instead of linear animation. Um, there's no reason I can't just say, well, that's now another key. Um, right. Again, and, and you can make another up. famous Adobe Eagle Claw key <laughs> yeah. combination that you actually need a third person uh, to help you with. <laughs> we need to press this at the same time, like keys in a <laughs> nuclear launch. <laughs> Um, but yeah, when, when I just want to catch professionals, like things can be hard. You can be like, this is a hard problem. And just saying it should be easier is not like, I don't want to minimize actually hard problems, but I do not want to blindly say, because this part of my job sucks, it should <laughs> suck. And, uh, you, yeah. you want to keep that open mind. Um, I, I think of like, you know, that crappy teacher you had that was like really arbitrarily difficult and thought it was character building. It was like, this is good for my students that I don't provide notes and I don't help them at all. And it's like, uh. which I I would even go so far as to say that once you reach, if, if that was even true for children, by the time you're an adult, wouldn't you want to say like, okay, you've now built up character. Let's not 
arbitrarily make life more difficult. <laughs> like, isn't all of technology in modern society about combating the natural, um, what would you call it, indifference of the universe towards yeah. your survival? <laughs> like, we're, you know, the, this touch bar may just, in, in reality, be a step toward a grand utopia. It's not. It's totally not. But. No. <laughs> Yeah, this aside is less about the touch bar and more just about that mindset. But yeah, no, um, I'm with. And I mean, you probably more than most people. Like you, you've done stuff in Sublime because you've done some like front end developer developery stuff. Yeah, uh, you're a musician. You're an animator. So like. You actually, when most people are complaining, and you write, like when most people complain about being a professional, they're like, oh, well, you're only thinking as, as a writer or as a musician or as an animator. And I just want to be like, all of you just go talk to Mike. If Mike doesn't think this is a big deal, then it's probably fine. Uh, so let's get into some other small topics and we can get back to what I think about all this new hardware crap. <laughs> um, so one of the things that happened to me recently was I signed up for a free trial of the New York Times. Or they had like, you know, like you get a month for 99 cents. And I was like, sure, let's yeah. just have fun with this for a month. A month. Well, Little I'm kind did of, you know. <laughs> well, I'm being a political junkie and I'm getting sick of using only Google's AMP search workarounds to see their articles. <laughs> <laughs> um, eventually, sometimes you just want to go read it and you don't want to have to figure out the dance to trick it into giving you free access. Um, but I found out that, and I was, I was always planning to cancel. Like I'm not going to pay 10 bucks a month for the New York times or any <laughs> single newspaper. I would Netflix a bunch of them maybe, but <laughs> I'm not going to want off this. Um, and, but I found out that my local library, which we just got cards for, um, has access to New York times digital edition. You just go through the library website and I'm like done. Mm, yeah. Totally awesome. Um, so I go to cancel my account and Dum dum dum. <laughs> you have to call a human. Unacceptable. It's a phone number with business hours. Uh. <laughs> and this this so transparently is a retention thing. It's a have a high hurdle so someone puts it off and forgets for another pay cycle. Um, it's a force you into a survey to say why you're leaving kind of thing. And I gave them zero information. I was like, because I decided not to continue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the poor person on the other end of that call. Like, uh, Sir, I'm sorry. I just, I just have to ask you these questions, please. <laughs> um, and I don't know that we need a giant conversation, but it's just totally unacceptable in this day and age, especially when you have such an easy funnel into your product of sign up online, don't talk to any humans. And then you're like, yeah, but you need to finish this obstacle course and climb and, you know, <laughs> get the aggro crag from it. Nickelodeon guts before you're allowed to leave. So whenever I hear about a, 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 a pretty transparent business retention uh, hurdle like this, I do always wonder, have they actually done the analysis? Is it, Can they even do the analysis like an A-B test of... Okay, if we let people opt out online, we lose this many subscribers. If we force them to, you know, bring us the cup of Christ from the mountain, then <laughs> we only lose, you know, X sub, you know, prime many subscribers. And it's like, uh, do you know that? Or are you just assuming harder things are harder? Because 
for for someone like you, I I suspect, and certainly for someone like me, like if I found out this was the only way to do it, I would block out time on my calendar to call and yell at this innocent person <laughs> who is in no way responsible for this policy being in place just because I'm, it's like it's so obvious what they're doing it's like no i will not be tricked by this get rid of my damn subscription when and i assume <laughs> you how long between when you found out what you had to do and when you actually canceled was it oh the next day yeah, exactly so you are not the 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 i mean i guess you're tall you just went right over that hurdle but <laughs> i could they possibly could it be worth the, the, the vitriol that people will feel towards you? Well, and one of the consequences is, unless I know that's changed, I will never rejoin. <laughs> like, I would just be like, I don't want to have to call it a cancel. <laughs> They're now written down in your book of life. It's like <laughs> you, you have a little sign up over the register that says, do not accept checks from New York Times. <laughs> Pretty much. So that was my little, if we ever, if we did segments in the show, there'd be like the little tiny table flips. This would go in that that yeah. category yeah th- this is a, a perfect uh a, a perfect test bed of the the tiny flavor table flips flavor flavor tips table flips <laughs> one of those tips. things we can't do it if i can't say it because that would just be <laughs> embarrassing every week uh so another small topic was uh you know months ago we talked about uh time zones being stupid and annoying and a pain in the ass especially if you travel and even if you don't if you just have friends in other time zones i found this article on yahoo sports i think someone tweeted it. i don't go to yahoo sports of my own accord <laughs> and uh someone asked both campaigns and uh, the trump campaign didn't respond but the H- hillary campaign said they would consider uh, getting her to actually Hillary herself was just saying, you know, it's hard enough to get teenagers up in the morning, but nonetheless, I don't think time zones are helping <laughs> our world get work done. And so I would definitely consider getting rid of daylight savings times. But to, to go along with this, there's also a new New York Times editorial from James Gleek, yeah. uh, the author of Time Travel History. And he has some very forceful words uh, about getting rid of time zones. Yes. I agree with this. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I'm not saying you should vote for Hillary just because she said she would consider this offhandedly. But uh, please, like whatever president will abolish daylight savings time will forever hold a special place in my heart. Like no matter what other terrible things they do, I know that for me personally, for the rest of my life, I'd be like, but they did end daylight savings time. (laughs) Like Like they may have (laughs) caused World War Three and we're fighting with sticks and stones now, but... (laughs) Hey, time zones are gone. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I would would love to see the abolition of time zones. We'll talk about that in a second. But abolishing daylight savings time to me is like not even negotiable. Like this is not a – the fact that we lie to ourselves twice a year and say that changing the number on the clock has altered anything about reality is so embarrassingly narcissistic. (laughs) It's just – I mean could you just imagine if you – you know, for six months out of the year – you lived in New England and they were like, oh, you know, it's kind of like it's cloudy. So for winter, uh, wear these blue sunglasses. And when you look at the sky, it will look like the sky is blue. <laughs> like if, if you tried to introduce that, you would sound like an absolutely crazy person. And the more terrifying thing is a lot of people would probably be like, I would love to see a blue sky all year. And it's like, no, but the sky won't be blue. Just you changing have to it. move to Colorado for that. <laughs> exactly. California. No, not Colorado. Go to California. Don't come here. Yeah. It's terrible here. Um, <laughs> Daylight but, eyesight time. Yeah, but I, I just, I don't, 
I understand how it got started. I will probably add my one of my favorite CGP Grey links to the, the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash living table slash 144. Um, I already tweeted it. I tweet it every single year. I usually post it all over social media, uh, you know, both times when we change the clocks. But yeah, daylight savings time to me just absolutely has to go. Like there's really no discussion to be had there. The time zone thing, that I'm willing to hear both sides of the argument on a little more. So how, how do you feel about this? Um, I would love to be able to say, are we meeting at 1400? Yes. Okay. And then no matter, there's just zero room for confusion on any side of that conversation. (laughs) Every single time you mention a time, I would like that to be reality. Yeah. And I think the best argument for abolishing time zones, which just, cause I feel like we talked about this once before on the show, but just make sure everybody's on the same, uh, time with us here. Um, the idea here would be that it is the same time everywhere. So 12 o'clock London is 12 o'clock New York is 12 o'clock LA is 12 o'clock Sydney. And then it might be nighttime in Sydney when it's daytime in London, but that doesn't matter. It's the same number on the clock so that you can never, ever, ever be confused about time zones because there aren't time zones. So as you say, if we agree to meet at 1400 hours, it doesn't matter if it's daytime or nighttime. It's 1,400 hours. And I know where I am, so I yeah. know if 1,400 is an acceptable time for me to be available or not. Yeah, you're not, like, the fact that you'd have to go, well, is it day for Matt Duncan or is it night right now? That's not going to be worse by getting rid of the time confusion. So we're not losing anything. We're just gaining the lack of confusion. Yeah. So. And, and as someone who routinely deals not just with neighboring time zones where you're off by because, like, you know, mountain time, the forgotten time zone, you know, I deal with people uh, for my job in all of the United States time zones, which is frustrating enough because it's like, oh, I thought we were meeting in an hour. And it's like, no, you're actually an hour late. <laughs> like, fortunately, that doesn't happen too often because I'm I, I try to be very careful. Um, but I also routinely deal with other people in my organization that are in Europe and in Asia. So it's <laughs> just really annoying to be like, Oh, you know, are you available at eight o'clock? And it's like, well, do you mean eight AM or PM? And do you mean eight <laughs> in your time zone or my time zone? Or God forbid, you're trying to coordinate something between like Australia and mountain and Greenwich mean time. <laughs> so it's like these people, Oh my God. And it's just like computers, it's which are literally, yeah, which are literally mental. just calculators even struggle with this. Because they go in and out of time zones at all different times, you know, different countries. Then there's a couple like brutal dictatorships that are like, ah, f- you, we're going to have 45 minute offsets. And it's like, <laughs> why? Why would you do that? And there's weird spots in the US where like this side of town is on this time zone and that oh. side. Yeah. I mean, those things like, yeah, I just, I don't, I see absolutely no reason to continue this insanity. I mean, can you think of a devil's advocate argument here that's a legitimate one, not just like, oh, well, it'd be confusing for people for a little while? Cause that to me is not a valid argument. Uh, nothing comes to my mind other than the transition pain. You just have to alleviate that somehow or just convince people emotionally to get over it and deal with the transition. But, you know, that's, you brought up a point about like software, like computers add things correctly, but we've had um, buggy calendars or location unaware calendars or different settings you aren't sure that you've turned on or off for long enough that anytime I am going to a meeting that isn't someone I know is from my same time zone, 
I like quadruple check it. <laughs> and that's just a mental cost I'm sick of paying of like, wait, is it really? Okay, it is really. Okay, now here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so I complained on Twitter, you know, this past weekend in the, the United States, we changed this. I didn't realize that this has actually changed twice in my lifetime when daylight savings time starts and ends. So not only is it completely arbitrary, but we're admitting that it's arbitrary by changing the time <laughs> of year that we do it. But that aside, um, one of our, our listeners, Justin, <laughs> replied back to me and said he has a clock in his bedroom that has the dates to change for daylight savings time hard coded. So they're the old dates. So now <laughs> he, he actually has to fix his clock Should not four, have been a four times a year. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just if you're going to try and make it smart, just make it all the way smart and just have it talk to a GPS satellite. Like walking around my house, you know, there, there's uh, my kids' rooms have clocks and then, you know, we have a clock in the bedroom and then we have like a decorative clock over our mantle. And then the the stove and the fireplace or the stove and the uh, microwave, but it's like the stove and the microwave have 24 hour a day power. Their physical location never changes. Put a dollar fifty GPS chip in there and just <laughs> twice a year it will update. And then if I do lose power, like there's a power failure when the stove comes back on, the clock will fix itself. Oh my and, God. And that little tiny convenience would not cut into their profits one like iota because <laughs> if I was buying a stove and they said, oh, well, this stove will cook the turkey for you, but this one will automatically update at daylight savings time, I'd be like, that one. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 clock one please and like but this one cooks the turkey i don't care the clock one i'll take the <laughs> clock one um i do want to read a couple quotes from this new york times editorial from james gleek um he said let us all wherever and whenever live on what the world's timekeepers call coordinated universal time or utc though earth time might be less presumptuous when it's noon in Greenwich, Britain, let it be 12 everywhere. No more resetting the clocks. No more wondering what time it is in Peoria or Petropavlovsk. Uh, our biological clocks can stay with the sun as they have from the dawn of history. Only the numerals will change, and they have always been arbitrary. And then later he goes on, The human relationship with time is changing again. We're not living in the rail, rail world. Damn it. We're not living <laughs> you, you can do this. <laughs> rural juror. Uh, we're not living in the railroad world anymore. We're living in a networked world, a zone of experience where the sun neither rises nor sets. What time zone governs Twitter or Facebook? There's plenty to argue about in cyberspace as in the real world. We could at least agree on the time. Bravo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, ser seriously. Just I'm I'm doing the like uh what is it? The Citizen Kane like furious clap in the tuxedo. Um, but I, there's a, another quote from this article. Uh, I don't have the exact quote handy, but he says like one of the only drawbacks is that it'll make those it's always five o'clock somewhere shirts like be out of fashion. <laughs> it's like, no, no, don't th don't think of it that way. They're now vintage collector's items like those sorts of dumb t-shirts and mugs will never be made again because we have stopped pretending we are masters of time <laughs> and we can put those in the same like closet or attic that we put the keep calm and stupid oh. shirts <laughs> <laughs> keep calm and stupid there's a whole uh, subtext about brexit in there but i don't think we have time for any of that uh yeah I, I would love to I would love to see this in my lifetime. I think the more connected we get, the I, 
So I'll I'll just throw this out. If you you want to continue on with this, I think it'd be interesting uh, to dig in on a little. As neither of us know anything about railroads, um, but I can imagine if there was consumer affordable hyper fast transit between like Europe and North America across North America and then like over to Asia and then across Asia into Europe and then across Europe. So that basically like a hyperloop. So if you could wake up in London and have breakfast with your, your significant other in LA, like realistically, or say like, Oh, I can't be there for breakfast, but I can be there for lunch. Like if, if that was a realistic thing that a normal person could do for like a $20 train ride, then it becomes even more like, yeah, where you are, it doesn't really matter. Like is, is the sun up? Okay. The sun is up, but the time on the clock is now irrelevant because you can be anywhere else on the planet, multiple other spots in the same day. And the, the hour jump just seems absurd when you can move that fast. Just like, Hey, I'll be there in 30 minutes. Why is it like five hours different now? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, you know, I'm in mountain time. Uh, my, most of my family's back on the East coast and it's like, you le- you land like when you're coming this way if you have a direct flight you land like not that long after you took off <laughs> so, so like if you're strictly going by the clock it's like oh that flight was like 35 minutes it's like no obviously it was not it was like three and a half hours but like this like if we just eliminated all of this i mean all, all of this i wish some crazy dictator would maybe just come in for like a week and just like fix the calendar, fix the daylight saving time, fix time zones, make us metric, and then just be like, okay, I've done all I came back from the future to do, and then just disappear into the night. It, it does feel like we're trying to do space travel in a pre-Copernican like universe where it's like we've got these crazy charts and maps overlaid on the universe, and it's like, man, we just need to Occam's razor this crap and have one time. Well, I mean, to standardize on things like whenever somebody pushes back on and metric, and let's face it, I mean, I I know we have some some international listeners, and you're all blessed to have the metric system. Technically, in the United States, we have the metric system, but it's not enforced, so nobody uses it. Yeah. Um, but I, whenever somebody says like, "Oh, well, you know, ten is arbitrary," I'm like, "That's not the point of the metric system. The point of the metric system is orders of magnitude. It could be orders of magnitude of eight or twelve or." 65 like it's it's the way that it scales that makes it efficient not the fact that it's base 10 base 10 is just convenient because of our monkey fingers and (laughs) i feel the same way about like utc time people are like oh well you know all measurements of time are arbitrary and it's like yeah so let's pick one that's easier (laughs) because we have full control over our measurement system yep it turns out we could decide how we want to do that. <laughs> yes. If we're making an arbitrary decision, let's not be Vim users and make it arbitrarily harder. Oh. oh. <laughs> now we can Vim hate. Yeah, that. probably. I, I like Vim. I just know that they're like super passionate. I mean, it's terrible. Send all of your hate mail to uh, <laughs> at pseudo Michael on Twitter. Oh, great. They won't know <laughs> how to spell it. Um, <laughs> Um, so you can find these articles we just mentioned in our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 144. So should we have a secret vanity URL that's slash gross? Uh, maybe. <laughs> can you uh, whatever mod rewrite magic to make uh, arithmetic possible in our URLs? Like you could do 12 times 12 and it would redirect. Maybe it would depend on what characters are acceptable. <laughs> like I think the plus stands in for a space. So uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the little asterisk, maybe. I don't know. 
That's, I will I will look into this for the amount of time that I think the joke is worth after after the show. Right. Um, should we talk more about Max and surfaces and stuff? We have to because I know that you have valuable opinions as you were drowning us in slack after you listened to the episode last week. Yeah, I have a, I have a lot to say. Um, well, I mean, first off, I haven't seen the new MacBook, so I can't provide any hands-on opinions. Um, I did see that a developer already made a touch bar in Yoncat, so that's part of the course internet. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, well done internet. And I don't think that developer even has a Mac. I don't think anyone has the touch bar until later this week anyway, unless well, you're a reviewer. Yeah, I don't I don't remember if uh Matt and I said this, but the the reason this entire surprise got leaked is because in Sierra all of the screenshots and API documentation was just present. Yeah, and there's there's always weirdos just combing through that stuff looking for leaks, and yeah, lo and behold, wasn't even a supply chain leak like usual. <laughs> no, this was a straight up Apple literally put the information on everyone's computer for them. Um, I'd say overall, it looks like it looks like a MacBook Pro. It's thin, it's light, it's a pretty good looking laptop that probably can do what most people need and it's expensive because it's from Apple. And then there's this touch bar thing and we, we hinted at it earlier, but um, the touch bar I really think is in spite of the pro in the name of the machine, it's, <laughs> it's a consumer innovation. It's for everyone, not for professionals. And I think people get hung up on pro and I think it's because companies want you to think, including Apple, that when they put pro on something, that means it's for professionals and you should feel like a professional while you're using it. When what it actually means is this is the highest quality thing we sell. And it has an almost, it's a different correlation. The PlayStation Pro is not for pro gamers. It's just the best PlayStation you can buy. And they want you to feel all warm and fuzzy because it says pro, but you need to be smarter and realize that that's not really what things directly mean. Well, but then... Before I let you go on other things, wouldn't you say then Apple might be at fault for using that term? Because when I think technology with pro on the end, I think of Windows professional. I mean, that may just be because of the time and the, and the place that I grew up. But when someone says like, oh, this is the pro version, I think, oh, so it has like one thing I care about and then 30 features I would only care about in the workplace, like the ability for administrators to decide what software I can install right. or to remotely administer my machine. Like those are professional features because they're features you would need as a professional. And in the case of like a MacBook Pro, because their market has always been creatives and developers and and writers and, and you know, thinky-feely types, then you would expect the the Pro on there to mean oh, you can do creative work on a regular MacBook, but on a MacBook Pro, you get the extra stuff you need to do that for your job. And I feel like that's where they kind of broke the trust of the naming convention. Yeah, I mean, I just think they, the whole word professional is so overloaded for exactly these reasons because it means so many different things. <laughs> and people just like hold it up like a mirror. And they're like, and I think this is exactly to why Apple is facing this frustration from certain professionals that wanted more. And I, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the things they declined to do is throw Intel under the bus a bit because they're, 
while their low power uh, Skylake chipsets came out like over a year ago, the the ones that Apple likes to use in this laptop um, were not available until now, and, the, and there's similar delays coming from their next ones. And so Apple could have been like, you know, screw you, Intel, you're the reason we're. <laughs> later than we would have been um also because we don't want to make a thick laptop we want to make this <laughs> insane thin one um as a professional myself the the main disappointment i have is that i can't throw 32 gigs of ram and it's not because everything i do today eats up the entirety of my ram and i'm like some crazy person running 15 virtual machines um though people that need to run virtual machines also hit this limit pretty quickly um, and I've seen so much consternation online on Reddit. I've been reading so many different opinions on this. And one of the annoying apologist sides to it is, well, you shouldn't expect that in a laptop. Well, you should just have a terminal and you should have some cloud resources doing that. And it's like, yeah, like that's the, that's <laughs> one entire branch of the future is we're going to have processing power offloaded onto other machines and we're going to have dumb clients on some on some level but that doesn't take away the fact that i can also use a strong portable for certain uses um you know the media people get like made fun of like well you should have a desktop anyway what are you doing trying to get a laptop that does everything and it's like <sighs> Por que no los dos? Like, <laughs> I am going to build a desktop machine. It's going to be way more powerful, and I'm going to love it. But sometimes I'm going to be on the road, and I want to be able to do my job as efficiently as possible. And I'm not saying, like, Apple should have 32 gigs of RAM in the base model, and literally everyone is wasting their money <laughs> on something they're not using. Just let me throw money at them and get the one I want. But. That is the thing that I kind of find to be the most confusing about this is I, I saw some back and forth. Some people were like, no, there aren't any chipsets that support this. They couldn't have possibly done it. And I'm not enough of a hardware expert to know that the exact combination of guts they have or would be willing to use would support 32 gigs of RAM. There are laptops that have 32 gigs of RAM. So there is consumer level hardware that supports that much RAM being shoved into a portable machine. And then, you know, whether or not it would be low power enough and get enough battery and be thin enough and all that like that. I don't know enough about that. But the the it's impossible chasm has already been crossed. Yeah. And now I just wonder. People who are like uh, developer professionals who have you know multiple VMs running or they have powerful simulators or they're compiling code or people who are working with, uh, you know, media and, and video do they not tend to maybe prefer like function a little bit more over form? Like if I go to you and I say, well, this can be three millimeters thinner, but it will render that video in six hours or it can be three, <laughs> three millimeters thicker and it will render that video in four hours. Like, which are you going to choose? You're obviously going to go right. with the one that actually serves your job better. And I know that at the extremes that gets a little ridiculous, but when you're talking about, processor intensive stuff that little bit of additional performance in the minds of someone who uses that tool to do their job will probably outweigh minor things like well it's a little bit thinner it's a little bit lighter particularly because when i think of portable in the professional realm i think of how reasonable is it for me to take it from my job where i, I work in an office to my home if i want to be able to work at home right 
A 15-inch yeah. MacBook Pro is portable if all you do is commute with it. A 15-inch MacBook Pro is not portable if you are like a digital nomad and you don't have a desk and you don't have an office and you're on a commuter bike, you know, 20 hours a day. Like those are very <laughs> different lifestyles. And I think the the 20-hour-a-day commuter one is pretty much the exception. The back-and-forth-in-a-car one is a lot more normal. Yeah. Um, I th- I think it's also frustrating not so much from a why don't they just make a thicker one and let me deal with it because i don't care um it's also a sort of a when you're buying as a professional not all professionals but i think like if i'm gonna lay down three thousand dollars sorry was that hashtag not all professionals (laughs) if i was going to lay down three thousand ish dollars on a professional laptop that would be specced up pretty high um, that's going to be something I might do every four or five years. And I'm going to buy something that's, you know, to use the term future proof. <laughs> and that's where the RAM kind of bites it. It's like, yeah, today, 99% of what I'm doing would be fine in 16 gigs of RAM. And it'll slow down when I, you know, I need to cache 4K video because I want to whatever. Um, but in four or five years, that 16 gig is going to be suffering a lot more than 32 will. And that's sort of the, the mindset you get in is like, I want to spend more now and coast for more years. And since these aren't user serviceable, upgradable machines, you really have to put it in when you buy it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the, some of this is fodder that people that are critical of Apple's products have been saying forever. It's like, oh, you can't upgrade it. Why would you buy that? You can't customize it. And I, that's all fair. Um, where I come in is just I love OS ten, And so I'm like, <laughs> hey, Apple, I don't mind paying a premium. Why don't you make me a product that will serve my needs? Yeah, and this is where I always get into the the business question where it's like they're not obligated to serve any particular customer, but it does make me wonder why after a long history of serving those customers, they seem to be turning a deaf eye or a blind ear to them and just kind of like, oh, well... You know, we used to care about you guys, but now this, this is this is fine. This is plenty good. <laughs> and I wonder if they're so far into and and uh, you know derail me if I'm I'm skipping ahead too much here. But are they so far into the iPhone and iPad being the future of personal computing life that they actually don't care about the Mac? Like maybe um, they really just don't. They're like, yeah, we make this because we're kind of socially obligated to, but we actually don't care. They have to care somewhat because you can't have iOS without the Mac. Um, maybe yes. someday they will, they'll, you know, iOS will grow up enough to be its own man, but that's not the case. You can't make iOS on iOS. You very literally have to have a Mac. And all of their app e- ecosystem and all that, developer relations is because Macs exist. And so until they do something different, they have to care about the Mac. Um, but how much? Um, I've seen like sort of the more generous take on this is that Mac OS is the dad. That's like It's never <laughs> going to be cool anymore. It's not the future. It just exists, exists to try to help teenage iOS grow up and, <laughs> and get on his way. And, um, you know, 
teenage iOS gets to be irresponsible and ridiculous and free and fancy because DadOS is around taking care of complex things. And I think that metaphor works on a basic level. Like, yeah, the reason the phone can be simple, asterisk, <laughs> is because... <laughs> Because we have desktop OSs, whether to design software if you're a developer or do heavy lifting stuff. Um, but I don't know. Like, We'll get into it when we talk about the Surface, but I, I really think the laptop and maybe the all-in-one style desktop uh, are pretty stable forms. Like, They're going to be with us a long time, at least in terms of form factor. And like, I, I do wonder, though, if you're Apple... As far as I know, some someone who's a professional developer, please correct me on Twitter. It's at S-U-D-O, Michael. Uh, <laughs> um, but as far as I know, the reason you can't make an iOS app on Windows or on Linux is not because you can't write code in Objective-C. Like right. it's, just, it's just text. It's because you can't sign the application, right? And that that little that last like, well, yeah, little, that's, that's a business implement like business reason, but. right? But I mean, so moving Xcode to Windows or Linux or both would obviate away a lot of what makes a, a Mac <clears throat> a lot of what makes a Mac strictly required. Because if yeah. you're if you're an audiovisual professional or a developer professional, you may prefer the Mac, and that's uh, that's fine. I have no bones with somebody's preference unless they're wrong. But <laughs> yeah, but right now, if you want to write Mac apps or you want to write iOS apps, you literally have no other option I, except maybe some like crazy hacky third party announcing Xcode for iPad. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is I don't think the guts are actually powerful enough. Not to not to <laughs> compile. Yeah, they need iCloud, like or Microsoft or Google Cloud to compile stuff for you. Then, yeah. But I mean, if if you love you know Logic or Final Cut or some other you know I don't know uh, iWriter and, and you <laughs> you uh, what what are they the the iWork suite like if if uh, you're pages pages if you're married to iWriter is like a mobile. Markdown app, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, IA um, writer. Yeah, that's the one. Um, but if you're like married to those applications, you could still do your job on a Windows machine. You would just have to learn a different tool that does the same thing. But you cannot, as far as I know, make a Mac or an iOS app anywhere but on a Mac. And that is the only linchpin of required usage like that's the one thing people are married into and they may have their preferences and again that's totally fine but i think it would be interesting for apple to say you know what we're just gonna let people make mac apps and ios apps on other hardware and eventually you're gonna be able to write ios apps from ios and and then you know what maybe there just won't be a mac anymore because we think laptops are outdated those are a dead (laughs) a dead form of computing this is where I'm the sad old guy because of all the things Apple makes, Mac OS is my favorite thing. It's I like it better than even their hardware. Um, even more than the iPod sock? <laughs> um, I could live without the iPhone. I know it's where they make all their money, so that's <laughs> going to be the thing that dies last. But I, if I gave up everything Apple, I would give up the Mac last because that's the thing I love the most. So, um, so fair question. Is it if you had to pick one or the other, is it the hardware or the software of Mac OS? It's the software, but I worry that part of the reason the software is so great is because they control 
the entire vertical experience. And yeah, there's paper cuts with that and there's things they, you know, they took away a port you loved or whatever. I'm, I'm less convinced of that in traditional computing because <laughs> there are not a lot of low level trade-offs that this hardware is making. This is consumer grade hardware that any rando could go buy at a micro center or a fries. Oh, dep- I mean, you could buy it, but like the, the discs they're putting in the MacBook pros are like, so ridiculously PCIe faster than anything that you can cheaply that you'll find at regular prices anywhere. But my point, of is, course, the you, low entry iMac has the slowest drive of all time in it. So, <laughs> but I'm saying like a, a Dell laptop could have the exact same guts as a MacBook Pro. There's absolutely nothing to stop Dell from doing that, but there is everything to stop Dell from putting an A10 chip into a phone True. that they make. So. Yes, they do control the full experience on a, a MacBook or on the iMac, but so? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why I, I would definitely say the software is more important to me than the hardware. Um, I do like some of the hardware things they do, um, but you're right. In principle, someone else can do those same things. Hackintosh life. No, <laughs> don't, don't really do that. <laughs> uh, I would just go straight to Windows if I left. I wouldn't try to... <laughs> Not Linux? Um, if Adobe supported Linux, <laughs> oh, that's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> See, you have another linchpin that I don't have. Yeah, man, Adobe, there's a love hate sort of <laughs> universe for me. <laughs> so what do you, you, you link this Marco article in here and we're kind of dancing around this idea of like a world without the Mac pro, which I think is literally what he called. Yes. A world without the Mac pro is the name of the article. So yeah. what, what, what was his take? Um, he just, um, the Mac Pro, it's, it was sort of what I was getting at, that the Mac, having professional-grade Macs lets the rest of Apple's lineup be free to be what they are without... Um, and I guess it's not just the requirement, like, well, they made it so the only way to compile apps is have a <laughs> Mac. Um, it's, it's also just in terms of the, the ecosystem and the, you know, if you need to do complex things, we have a product for you. And uh, if you just want to have a reliable, good, solid phone, here's your phone. And uh, as a top-to-bottom computer company, they have everything covered because they, they, they take care of you at the top if you love what they make. And getting rid of the Mac Pro now burdens the rest of their lineup to step it up. And maybe that's a good competitive pressure for them, but <laughs> um, he doesn't want to see a world without the Mac Pro because for Marco, he doesn't want to switch to Windows or Linux for the work he does. He wants to keep using. And that's sort of where I am. It's like, I'm not hyperbolic. I can do all of my work on Windows. It's all possible, and it's all probably you can be just as efficient. I would just have to put in the time like Vim Power users. <laughs> Switch to Emacs from Vim. Um, little things like I don't like using control for shortcuts because I don't like using my pinky versus the command. Like <laughs> I can get over that, whatever. Like I, I, It's not like the end of the world when I switch and I'm going to build a PC for media work. Like that's just a foregone conclusion. Um, and I'll be fine, but you know, I prefer to be in Mac OS. And so <laughs> that's my main gripe is like, I know it's subjective. I know like, I don't 
begrudge anyone that hates Macs and loves Windows for what they do. Like, I try to be as open-minded as possible about all this stuff. But Mac is kind of like a home for me. And so it's, you know, it's not, it may not be the only home I ever live in. And I love visiting other homes and other people have great homes. But when it's like, <laughs> hey, why don't you just pack your bags? This house is cheaper and it's a little bigger. It's like, but then I'd have to move. And moving sucks. Yeah. Well, and especially when I, I think a big part of this is we're in the transition phase. It was not that long ago when you could buy a cheese grater Mac Pro and yeah. fill it fill it with hard drives and RAM until it was busting at the seams and you could hook it up to whatever kind of external monitors and Apple still made monitors. We don't even have to talk about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like there, there's... There and it doesn't have to be cheap and competitive. Like, they can charge a premium. Oh, and yeah. us stupid fanboys will just pay it. And we'll just be like, yes, let's do this. Well, and I feel like that's a, a market that they have the overflow to keep as like a jewel in their crown. Because, I mean, it's obviously they make the bulk of their money from the iPhone. Like, no question that is their <laughs> primary revenue stream. And then they have the iPad and they have some services money from like Apple Music and iCloud and stuff. And then like I remember I think it was when Windows 8 was kind of like over the hill and we knew Windows 10 was coming out. Uh, I heard a statistic that was uh, there were more Windows 8 installations than all versions of all Macs in all the world. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's how little of a market the Mac has. And that's Mac laptops and iMacs. And like it just doesn't have a deep penetration. But if you have so much overflow resources and you have such a loyal fan base, just make this amazing PC and then charge a bajillion dollars for it. And the people who want it will buy it. And the people who don't will point and laugh at you, but they were already doing that anyway. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand. Yeah. Like they must be so either planning for something we haven't figured out as a society, or they're so resource constrained in terms of like designer and engineering hours that they're like, no, we literally can't. All of our time is going into making the next iPhone and to making the next Apple watch. We have no bandwidth to spare right. for this stupid machine that we will only sell a hundred of. Well, and that's the thing is, I mean, it seems like maybe Apple just got bored because they're like the, the 2013 Mac pro is not what real professionals want on almost <laughs> any level. And it's a it's a nice looking trash can, but it's just like we don't care what rectangle like yeah, I want it to be quiet and you're pretty good at doing that with your machines, Apple. Make it a quiet giant rectangle, but um give me space to add things. Don't take away all that and say you live with ports and you know it's it's you've seen the pictures of the Mac Pro once you actually hook up all the things you need to hook up to it. Oh, it looks ridiculous. <laughs> like unbelievably. It like people are like, complaining about dongle hell with the new Thunderbolt C on the MacBook Pros. The Mac Pro <laughs> looks cartoonish. It it's looks like a cartoon when someone with long hair gets electrocuted. It's just like <laughs> hair out every direction. So this this is I mean all of this this history that I've you know heard about then lived through and I'm now currently observing this really indicates to me to your point about like maybe they're bored I I think they're bored with what we consider Dad traditional OS. computing <laughs> I I think they just want to make iPads and iPhones I mean you were the one who told me the anecdote about Steve Jobs wanted to make the iPad first but he knew like people weren't ready for that yet. Well, the tech wasn't ready to do the big screen, so do well, the smaller yeah. one. 
But I mean, it's like even then you could make the argument that he saw like, oh, this is what a personal computer is going to be for most people. Most people do not need the clamshell laptop that we think of, and they certainly don't need or want the truck, not just because they don't need the the computing power, but how much cooler is it to be in a coffee shop and just pull your tiny little iPad out or even your, your a little bit more robust iPad Pro out and just be like, oh, hey, I have my computer with me. As opposed to being like, I'll do that when I get back to my computer at home or in yeah. my office. Like every time I, I it's furniture, I hit a, the desktop. Yeah, every time I hit that barrier on my phone, where I'm like, this would really be easier if I was at my laptop. Like, and I don't have it with me. I'm I'm aware of that boundary where it's like, oh, I'm now. And if you're Steve Jobs or you're now, you know, Tim Cook and Johnny Ive, and you're thinking about the average person, there's not a lot of things the average person needs to do at any given moment outside of maybe their their professional work that they can't do on an iPad. So why keep making laptops that sell a rounding error worth of units? <laughs> uh, but that makes me sad. Um, no, and I mean, I love... I'm See, I'm, I'm a little bit reversed from you. Like, I would miss the hardware of my MacBook Pro way more than the software. And that's just because of my use that's case. That's just because like, you're wrong that way. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, when I look around, like if I, I look at other manufacturers, they don't make hardware quite like this and it's not that there's nothing wrong with this hardware but is this is my preferred physical manifestation of a laptop and then if if i had to run windows on it or i had to run linux on it like i would be more willing to do that than to go back to a windows trackpad because oh my god windows track you're right about that i guess i I forgot (laughs) about the trackpads and that that's software and hardware but oh my god i can't i can't trackpad it elsewhere i just give up and go straight back to a mouse yeah and then yep. gestures would be gone and I'd be sad. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm saying. So I, I even the Surface Book, which has way better than other Windows trackpads, <laughs> like yes. they've done hard work there, still not as good. Nope. Yeah, I I don't want to see the Mac go away. I think a possible middle step, assuming my my view on this whole thing is correct, is uh the the desktop Macs going away and them saying we make a big fat like 15 inch laptop that is not our thinnest and lightest and it is full of the most powerful guts and if you need powerful guts that part's not going to happen <laughs> but <laughs> but why not like instead of making it thinner every year they could just do kind of what they did with the a couple of the iPad revisions eventually there has to be a lower bound on this thinness doesn't there like well, when it starts yeah. like <laughs> actually slicing children's arms off like. <laughs> yeah yeah when it's 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 inter- it's causing little nuclear explosions cuz it's interfering with the electron cloud on individual <laughs> atoms then yeah we're going to have a problem but i mean i can imagine them saying you know we have our giant truck laptop so all of our computers are portable machines but this one is the least portable then here's your your like prosumer level one which we would think of as like the the MacBook Pro 13 now now here's the MacBook adorable you know so it's like <laughs> you have a, a 15 inch full of powerful guts the most powerful guts a 13 inch like middle of the road but maybe leaning more powerful and then a, like a 12 or 13 inch that it's like no this is just optimized for mobility you basically have an ipad with a hardware attached keyboard and 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 out you go and i think a lot of people would be satisfied by that product line so now that we've envisioned this world where there are no more desktops (laughs) let's talk about microsoft's new product their awesome new desktop (laughs) the surface studio um 
I, I know you guys talked about it last week, but I, I find this a very fascinating product. And, you know, not just because it's coincided with Apple releasing a pretty, like, oh, they bumped their laptop specs up and added a touch bar and there's nothing else exciting going on. Um, just in terms of, it's interesting that Microsoft, who has a great hardware history, they make great keyboard and mice, and no one questions the hardware quality of the Surface and the Surface Book. Like, they're high-quality machined products, but... Um, when you look at their, their business move here, I just find that interesting that they're aiming expensive and niche. And, um, I, I mean, all in one is a good category, but the fact that it's straight up people that need to draw and interact and paint and do stylusy things, here is the product for you. And, um, as someone who does draw, that's like sweet. I'm really excited that a company has chosen me as their focus. But I'm also <laughs> like, I'm I really wonder, especially starting at three thousand dollars, and that's for an i5, eight gigs of RAM. And I don't want to make the mistake of being like the first version's low spec, so this whole thing's mm-hmm. dumb. Yeah. Um, it'll whatever, it'll advance. The specs will get better over the years, but assuming they keep it with it, but more so just the business move of. Here's an expensive PC. And I mean, I think it's a good move in a world where budget race to the bottom PCs have kind of run their course. And really, you're going to buy a Chromebook if you're going to do that or you're <laughs> going to get a tablet um, that they're, they're doing this push. And uh, I find it exciting. And it's the most interested I've been in what Microsoft's doing in a long while. Well, don't you think that I mean, to my argument that Apple is obviously, and it's not like I'm the first to figure this out, but to my argument that they're obviously optimizing for the future of mobility and what a normal person would want to have access to the, you know, to everywhere they went all the time, the Surface Studio is more like, what if we actually just only looked at the needs of this specific subset of people? Then what would we optimize for? And if you're talking about someone who is sitting at like an old fashioned drafting desk style animation desk, uh, they're not optimizing for portability. No, like they want to comfortably draw or interact with, you know, their their renders or whatever for who knows, 12 hours a day. Maybe they love what they do and, and they need to be able to ergonomically sit at this this table or this piece of furniture and, and work for hours and hours and hours. So the the uh, optimizations are obviously skewed toward that and then the pen the surface pen which they already had is you know works here but the dial to that was where and and we talked about this a little bit but the more i've thought about it the more i'm like i kind of want this thing like, yeah <laughs> i just want like this kind of unipurpose input device even though it has like a little touch surface and you can like kind of click it like i just want a dial like, I can think of things <laughs> in my workflow, like editing podcasts, that a dial would be awesome for. Well, and this is an optimistic take on like the death of the desktop PC is, hey, let's have tons of innovation into input mechanisms. Like now that, you know, even super portable miniaturized hardware has fast wireless connections and touch surfaces and proximity and, um, you know, tilt and on all these things that we can build in that we figured out with phones we mass produced with phones now we can put this tech into anything and uh you know breaking down those barriers between you and the content and so 
the the idealized video that shows them like swirling through colors with the dial looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, <it really laughs> and does. even though I'm not going to paint a rainbow every time I sit down <laughs> at the computer, um, that that it's just t- you know reducing that barrier and, and in a weird way, unlike the touch bar, it's introducing tactile to the computer. And it's like, whoa! I already have a panel on Adobe for changing the color. Why do I need a physical hardware to do it? Um, because when you need it, uh, it's really handy and really nice. Um, why not have nice things sometimes? <laughs> and, you know, you're in a video app, scrubbing through audio or video would be super nice with a dial um, versus yeah. clicking and dragging the mouse. Like, I, I just hate that. And so um, it's definitely like I'm not going to drop 3000 on this, but I'm watching it. And um, I just... I want to see where it goes. I, I one of the things that holds me back is not just you know an i five for three thousand dollars, <laughs> um, but also just uh, you know Justin tried one out at Adobe Max and I've used some of the other surfaces and they just they need to take another step or two on the latency oh, and the 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 it's heartbreaking to hear man it's like per- <laughs> perfectly great for note taking or you know general use but. Um, in my experience, doing some of the more detailed drawing stuff, it's just not quite there. Other people can have other opinions. Like it depends on what you're doing, but um, <laughs> that, I that's, think one, that's seriously heartbreaking. I was hoping you were going to say like, yeah, the they didn't make a big deal of on stage, but the <laughs> the latency is now down to like sub ten milliseconds. Like, <laughs> yeah, they that's sort of the like as soon as they cross that line, and I'm sure they'll they're working on it, um, especially with Cintiqs and with the iPad Pro kind of, you know, showing them the way on it. It's like, yeah, you need to care about latency. I think that it's not just latency, it's tilt. Um, that's one thing that people that use Wacom tablets hate. Even even the iPad Pro Pencil, which does have tilt support, it's not nearly what the Wacom tablets can do. Yeah. And so that's is, something... Is, that, is, is tilt support part of pressure sensitivity? Uh, do those two things kind of go together? So it's like if you push hard, it's like you're mashing the brush and the bristles. Spread well, it's out. also like uh, like even in Photoshop with the the brush engine, um, there's a three dimensionalness to the brush. So the way you tilt it changes the shape and the way it paints. Mm, okay. And so it's just closer to modeling what actual painting is like. So I wish I had thought to ask uh, Matt this last week, but your your point about like. Yeah, just because it's harder doesn't mean it's better. Um, <laughs> so uh, Lars uses a uh, he has a Cintiq, but I think Matt said he primarily uses a, a Wacom tablet, which <laughs> means where your hand is physically moving through space and where the result of what you're doing is are separate. Right, so there's a screen. Yeah. And there's the the tablet, and they are two different things. Whereas a Cintiq is actually like a little screen, so you're kind of looking at yep. what you're doing. Um, I think the the point Matt made was, yeah, once you use a, a Wacom tablet for a little while, like it's just not that big of a deal. And it's like, but are there any benefits? Like, yeah, is there a, is there any benefit to not having where you're physically moving and the representation of your actions being in the same place, because I can think of lots of benefits of them being in the same place. Yeah. So just because you can learn to compensate for it, if you didn't have to, wouldn't that be better? So just off the top of my head, playing devil's advocate for it is I can think of if you're painting a big thing and you want to see the detail, 
but you don't want to have to move your whole arm across the size of that big thing to do some of that. Um, maybe it's nice that it's not, it's not uh, in terms of scale one-to-one. You can have a 10-inch uh. drawing surface and a 30-inch screen in front of you. And you're you're doing it, but that's about all I got. Um, I I really no, but think that, that, that that's an interesting. I I would not have considered that. Not you know being an artist. Um, but I I I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and then you, and but the reverse is you you can't ever switch that. So like on a if you're writing on a full surface, you can zoom in and out. And if you have like a dial that you have set to zoom, you could very rapidly zoom in and out. Maybe. So yeah. it's like, you know, big picture, fine detail. Which I big, do constantly when I'm doing my little, like, right. profile sketches. But with the the external tablet and the giant screen, you can't do the reverse and say, okay, now I want to look at this thing from far away, but I do want to physically move my arm in a big sweeping motion. Like, that's not an option. Everything is a fine motion. I mean, I do think you can define how the te- the drawing tablet maps to part of the screen versus all of it. So you might be able to get somewhere on that a little bit, but, but, but if you're, if you're an act like a canvas, it's definitely an abstraction. I yeah, think if, is what if we're you're getting a, at. if you're a canvas painter and someone says like, Oh, Hey, use this little black six inch plastic rectangle and it'll be just like painting. You're going to be like, no. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that that person shouldn't use, learn to use the tools, but if you could get all of the simulacrum of the physical world for people who prefer that tool set, but then also get the cool things of like zoom in and out and being able to rotate the canvas without undo, having to physically man. move your body. Undo. Undo, <laughs> undo is pretty awesome. <laughs> so that it seems like even though there would still be some trade-offs, that is the, that's the set of features oh, to trade off. I'm totally that I on prefer. the side. Yeah. I'm totally on the side of one-to-one, <laughs> but I, 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 I have a Wacom in the closet and I've hooked it up several times over the past year to try to learn painting and Photoshop. And I, I just, I, I didn't come into art this way. I don't, (laughs) I don't want to have to learn the separation when I have options in the market to not have to do that. And so I, I would rather pay for a Cintiq than deal with the separation, but that's because I'm not already invested in that. If I had spent 10 years painting that way before the tech could do it another way, right. I would be like, who cares? Like, I'm just, this thing's a tenth of the price of a Cintiq. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it this way. And that person isn't wrong for them. But again, it's like as long as they don't take that leap and go, and now every newcomer should learn arm-eye separation. <laughs> and it's like... Is there a good reason other than because that's the way, the only option you had when you got into this? Right. Yeah. And I I guess it'd be interesting to poll artists and creative types and say, like, can can you distance yourself from the thing you've invested time in and think about the ideal the ideal way to accomplish your goal? Like, for someone who has like this, this may seem like kind of a weird accessibility thing, but uh, say, you know, in my, my younger life or before an injury, I was a painter and I did like, you know, big sweeping Jackson Pollock's like big arm motions. And I have to like cover myself in paint and throw myself against the canvas. Like, you know, alternative, like non-traditional ways you wouldn't necessarily think of painting. And then I'm, I'm now I'm older and I'm arthritic or I was in an accident or something. And now I can do small, fine motions, like the way you would write like the alphabet, but I can't do these big sweeping arm motions. 
to tell that person, hey, use this smart pen, use this dial, and use the software, and you will be able to learn how to create the same sort of output as you did when you had, like, full use of your body. Like, I... that's definitely a really, really tiny subset of people who would benefit from that kind of functionality. But I think it'd be an interesting case to say like, Oh, do you want to do crazy performance painting where you, your end result previously could only have been accomplished through these giant physical actions that took up a whole room. Well, now if you use these Photoshop brushes and use this dial and this pen and you turn the canvas in this way, as you're drawing, you can get basically the same output like that would, I mean, I'm digging, like, I'm not trying to turn this into a human interest story, but like, there's, <laughs> there's an interesting case there where I think accessibility for someone who does not have the option, they can't do these big, big physical movements for whatever reason would also then extend it to someone who just doesn't want to, like, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to cover a whole room You've and drop cloth and jump around like an idiot. The chart where a device that supports one hand use helps the guy who's been amputated also helps the guy with the broken arm and helps the mom yeah. holding a baby. Like, yeah. just it's not just for the amputee. Anyone for can have situational uh, accessibility needs. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the 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 simulation of real world art, like the one to one, and then making all of that stuff also available through digital tools where it's now completely divorced from what it's like to do in the physical world, but you still get the same kind of result like that. That's a pretty compelling story. And if you're Microsoft, particularly at this time in history, there's probably a really compelling business reason for them to be like, you know what? We're not going to make a lot of money on the service studio. We might lose money. But the fact that for two weeks, people were considering that we were doing more for creatives than Apple is, <laughs> is worth all well, of the money. <laughs> in spite of all the, you know, right or wrong criticism of the surface line for being, you know, great at this, bad at that, whatever you want to go into. Um, I do think there's a whole generation of creative people who are kind of in the surface world and they don't care about the paper cuts because that's how they're learning to do their work. And so you oh. always have that blindness for your home and then you, you criticize people outside of it. And it's sort of like <laughs> you, you would worry if you're Apple, like, are we losing a generation of creatives that are going to, by default, prefer Windows? And, and this is why, I mean, I, I stand by my current assertion that they, they came into the market at a time where owning a computer was not a foregone conclusion. So going after people who could maximize the utility of such a powerful machine, musicians, video people, you know, artists, cr creators of all kinds, even writers back then when your alternative was like a physical typewriter, um, <laughs> the, the, the argument for what a computer should do if you're trying to get every single person in the world to buy your computer is now is, is very different then than it is now where it is kind of a foregone conclusion that anyone who can own a computing device is going to, but it's yeah. not going to be a big, powerful desktop. It's not going to be even a, a moderately powerful laptop. It's going to be a tablet and more than likely a smartphone. Yeah, the pretty much the only guaranteed one is a phone and then the rest is 
Depends. <laughs> yeah. And and I know Apple has always said that they're not going, they want to make the best devices. They don't want to necessarily sell the most devices. But I mean, obviously they're a business. Yes, they want to sell the most devices. <laughs> like, yes, obviously. Like they, if they could, they would have the iPhone be the undisputed champ where everyone had an iPhone. And if you didn't, you'd be publicly stoned. And I mean, I mean, they're a business. Why would they not want that? Like, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Microsoft wants every single computer to run Windows, no matter who manufactured it. Like, it would, it probably tickles them every night to know that there are people who have Mac hardware running Windows because they're like, haha, <laughs> like somebody bought your fancy Mac, but they're running our operating system. Yeah, and there's, I mean, companies do this spin all the time of like market share is not the most important until they have it, and then they're like, see market share. Yeah, look at all the market share we have, but said we don't care about, and that, that's why I wonder, like, because the iPhone is in certain parts of the world pretty much an undisputed champ and is emerging into other parts of the world. If you, if you're Apple and you still care about getting your operating system and your hardware to the most people like selling Mac laptops and iMacs and stupid trash cans is not the way to do that. <laughs> and it's, it may look, no. it looks like it may never be the way to do that again. Like I, I don't think in the short term it's something they can actually completely give up on, but it's not, the next iPhone size business for them. It's just going to be, it's just, it's just some chores they have to get to every once in a while. Yeah. And this is why Microsoft will always be an interesting company. Not necessarily good, but always, <laughs> always be an interesting. Hey, company we almost because, didn't crap on them. this episode. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not crapping on them, but I'm, what I'm saying is because of the way they are organized compared to how Apple is organized, they can, have whole divisions working on things that are not in support of like the one true business model. And that product may be successful and they may make money. It may be a flop and then they pretend it never happened. But I, I don't feel like Apple. <laughs> is a, yes. I, I don't feel like Apple is a company that would ever produce that kind of weirdness. Right. I mean, Famously, the Ninja Turtles phone of smartphones. Yeah, like I, I'm just like, come on, make more weird stuff. Like you have the money, you have brilliant engineers. Like something's bound to be cool. Like the service dial looks pretty cool. The studio looks cool. Like keep making weird stuff. Make that courier thing you gave up on. <sighs> Remind me another time to tell you a story about that. <laughs> okay. So I think uh, we could have another 90-minute conversation about how they should just make their own Linux distro over at uh, Apple, but instead, we should probably just go on this. No, nope, <laughs> not today. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to episode 144, A Gross of Flipping Tables We Have Delivered to You. <laughs> and we've both been on almost all of the episodes. Uh, we love feedback. Me and David are both on Twitter. You can tweet at me at pseudo Michael, S U D O Michael. And David, you are at Lions in Beta. And uh, for the articles we mentioned, you can check them out in our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 144. We also want to give a shout out to our Reddit community, uh, which we have a post there for every single episode. It serves as our unofficial comment. It's actually our official comment section, I'll it's, say. It's official, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you go to reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables, you'll see a link to every episode. And that's where we're... Uh, having most of our conversations about what we're talking about. And we would love your ideas about where we're right or wrong about all this stuff or how you see the touch bar in the studio going in the future. Um, 
I think uh, the, the studio is much more interesting uh, for for the time being, but we'll see. Oh, God, no question. Some <laughs> something way more amazing than Nyan Cat is going to have to come out on the touch bar. <laughs> That's true, though. Nyan Cat is pretty amazing uh, <laughs> <laughs> for professionals. <laughs> yes, every profession needs some Nyan Cat. Um, you should subscribe to our show if you haven't already. You can, uh, you know, just download your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Uh, I use Overcast.fm, and Lions, you're using Pocket Cast. Die hard fan. And you can search for Sunrise Robot for our master feed, or you can search for Flipping Tables to just get this show. And uh, that way you'll get a new episode every week automatically. It's great. It's the right way to live with podcasts. Um, otherwise, Subscription life. As always, you can listen on our website. Uh, if you'd like to support us directly, you can head to patreon.com slash sunrise robot and pledge dollars, which helps us keep the lights running. It mostly helps us pay for hosting all these MP3 files and, and website pages. Um, but it also occasionally lets us invest in better mics and, and some other things we need to make these, show, these shows continue sounding great. So with that, we want to give a huge thanks to our top Patreon sponsors, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Touch Bar Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, Joan Edwards, and Warren Myers. We love you all so much. See you next week. Bye.